0: The following is Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. No promotional fees are paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166.
1: Welcome to Voices of Experience on KIXI AM 880 and KKNW 1150 AM, a simulcast. And uh, my name is Paul Casey, along with uh, Eric Crema and Eric Ryder. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It almost was a longer afternoon for me because I was driving from West Seattle. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize the Blue Angels were going to be out. Now, what happens usually when the Blue Angels are flying in their practice runs?
2: People stop, don't they, to look up?
1: <laughs> that, but they close down I-90. Oh, jeez, yeah.
2: that's right.
1: So they didn't do that today. So I got here on time. Okay. Had they done that, I'd be doing this from the car. <laughs> and from maybe the I'd open up the windows. You could hear the, the roar of the engines light. come out. But, yeah, wow. uh, it was <laughs> something I didn't think about.
2: Well, people don't know this, but we can actually see them occasionally from our windows here at high atop the executive suites of KKW AM 1150.
1: Well, you can see them, I can't. I could can look down and see you stuck in at traffic. You <laughs> yeah, across the way. You yeah, got the it. suites uh view here, but They're not out there right now though. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm looking, though no, I don't right. see them. So, what do we have today? We have a lot of things today, like we always do. Spotlight. Eric, tell us about that today.
2: So I'm going to interview Sean Clancy. He's field marketing manager for the Northwest for Best Day Brewing. We're going to talk about trends that are going on right now in what I like to say the adult beverage category. Uh, Some surprises. Okay. It's interesting. All right. Anxious
1: to hear about it. You have some great interviews as well. Well, we certainly have a couple today, and they're all, well, two of them are actually Mayo Clinic involved. And they're from the Mayo Clinic. And uh, I talked to a Dr. Donald Hensrund And uh, he is, again, from the Mayo Clinic. And he wrote a book. And he's an expert on healthy diet for life. Hmm. So he talks about how you can, what we all want to do is lose weight, but how you do it, you know, in a in, a, in the best way possible to keep it off. And, and, and that's nothing new there. But one of the things that when I talked to him, he kind of incorporates kind of the keto diet. People always have the Mediterranean diet. They have their fads. Well, it's not that he writes about all these diets that he has, but how you make the Mediterranean diet work for you better or the keto diet or whatever. So anyhow, we'll get into that. He'll be up in just a few moments. And then uh, we have a Dr. Stephanie Fabian, and she is also from the Mayo Clinic. And uh, she is going to talk about the new rules of menopause now, I thought it would be better if a female did this interview and Lori Hardy stepped up. She's been on the show before and she yes. has her own podcast. She did the interview. I haven't heard it yet. It'll be on towards the end of the show. But again, I think it's an important because from the people who sent me this interview, it was kind of like we got some new things to talk about here. So I thought it was uh, something that we should share with the audience. It's great. Timeless classic for today. A rainbow that lights the sky at night in the city.
2: Rainbow that
1: lights a the rainbow sky. that lights the sky at night in the city. I'm pro- kind of a proud of that one myself. I thought that one up. So we'll see you later. Any idea, Eric?
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I you mean, he, he sent me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he he sent know. me the notes. So, he yeah, teats. we know you, what you know, it
1: is. Okay, we know that.
3: But <laughs> this All is right. a band that had, I think, two big hits. This uh, would have been a third maybe less lesser known hit I would say.
1: I would agree, but I think it's yeah. their best song. Oh, okay. I do. I I'm looking it forward is to hearing it cuz I'm
3: I'm not familiar with this particular song. Okay. I'm familiar with their other two really big hits. Yes. And their singer went on to form a very influential band uh called Big Star. So that's there's I a hint no for idea. the listeners out there.
1: There you go. Right. I did not know that. Thank you for that. So, yes, good. Uh, Voices of history today. A president, not a candidate, but a real live president, stopped in Seattle about 100 years ago, and he gave a speech at the University of Washington on his tour here in Seattle. He was coming across the whole uh, to the west Hmm. from the east coast, obviously, on a train. He was headed south to San Francisco after this. But... He gave his very last speech of his life at the University of Washington Stadium. Again, it's about a century ago, hmm. and he died six days later. Mm-hmm. So, I've got an idea, out?
3: but okay. yeah, no, I, I think I know. Okay. It's a good one. All right. right.
1: Uh, Self employment for today. I want to address the mindset of going into business for yourself. Now statistics are showing that the fastest growing numbers of people who are opening their own businesses are over 55 years old. So this is something that I wanted to spend some time on, and you suggested that, Eric, and I think it's a good idea.
2: Yeah, when when I heard that from you, actually, I thought, well, that's an amazing statistic. I would have guessed something different, but uh, so yeah, I'm interested
1: to hear that. All right, so let's get on with the show, as they say. Uh, we got much more than that, but we'll just. Uh, Now go on to my interview with uh, the great doctor from the Mayo Clinic, Dr. Hensrud. So uh, Dr. Hensrud, just a little bit of uh, introduction for him. He's an author of a New York Times bestseller book called A Healthy Diet for Life. And this is his third edition from the Mayo Clinic. It has wonderful reviews. I looked it up. And uh, I'll just give you one of the review that someone wrote. Every page forces you to think about your goals and working on a food plan. It also makes you honest about times or the food that you shouldn't have eaten. So let's get started. How can you lose six to 10 pounds in just the first two weeks? Let's just start there.
4: So the Mayo Clinic diet is divided up into two phases, a lose it phase and a live it phase. People want to lose weight quickly, and tomorrow isn't soon enough. So the lose it phase is a two-week jumpstart phase where people change habits suddenly. It's not anything, there's no counting calories, nothing uh, extreme. All the habits are safe and effective, such as eating more fruits and vegetables, eating breakfast, eating whole grains. The toughest habit is no eating while watching TV, and you can only watch as much TV as the amount of time that you're physically active. Uh, We're not telling people not to watch TV, but just don't mindlessly much. When people did this in our pilot program, they lost an average of eight pounds, or most people lost six to ten pounds. That's too fast long-term. Some of this is water weight, but we didn't see any adverse effects, and all of the habits were safe and effective. The second phase is where people take these habits in the live-it phase and turn them into long-term lifestyle changes. So although we call it the Mayo Clinic Diet, it actually is a long-term, evidence-based lifestyle change program.
1: You know, there's so much information about how to lose weight, and you had a couple comments there. And one is that you mentioned breakfast again. Is that the most important meal of the day and a meal that you should eat the most?
4: Great question. And that's being questioned a little bit these days with intermittent fasting. So traditionally, we used to say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Now there's a little bit of data uh, questioning that premise with intermittent fasting. We still think it's important to eat healthy food throughout the day. Even if people are doing intermittent fasting, they should still try and eat a healthy diet. And a healthy breakfast can get people off to a good start, especially children. It's been shown that when children go to school, if they have a good breakfast, they do a little bit better. So This whole area of weight management is full of controversies, and it's a lot more complicated than eat less, exercise more. People don't need us to tell them that. So we've sorted through all of these things, and we've come up with a program that we think is practical, realistic, and enjoyable enough to be sustainable.
1: So let's get into that.
4: So the premise behind uh, our program is something called calorie density or energy density that by consuming generous amounts of fresh or frozen fruits and vegetables that are high in bulk and low in calories, people can get enough food so they feel satisfied without a lot of calories. In the other food groups, we recommend healthier choices, such as whole grain carbohydrates, lean sources of protein and dairy, and heart-healthy fats, such as nuts, olive oil, and avocados. By following this program, people can not only get enough to eat, and be satisfied. They can lose weight because their calories go down. They can improve their health, and they can actually feel better.
1: You use the word frozen and in vegetables. Is there an advantage to buying frozen rather than fresh? One is convenience. You can
4: buy frozen vegetables that are already cut up and ready to go, so you just heat them up. And there is a little bit of a misunderstanding. Sometimes frozen vegetables actually have more nutrients than fresh vegetables. Some nutrients, like vitamin C, for example, degrades over time, so if if a fresh uh, piece of fruit or vegetable sits on the shelf for a while, that content of vitamin C may go down, whereas frozen vegetables are often frozen right when they're picked, and it preserves some of
1: these nutrients. Interesting, I mean, I'm getting things out of this interview already, however, if I don't get anything more out of it, which I'm sure I am, that makes this whole conversation worthwhile. Just with that, I would have thought that fresh would have been much better than frozen.
4: You know, that's an example. Again, this, this whole area is very complex, but we've taken the evidence and the knowledge and we've put it into our book, The Male Clinic Diet, in a, in a form that people can not only understand, but apply in a positive way. This doesn't have to be drudgery. There's a lot of great food out there, a lot of other hints and tips for people to use in in improving their health and managing their weight in a better way. And so we're we're very excited about our new addition.
1: People eating fast food and all that, is that ebbing some, or is that still a chronic problem that continues to get worse and worse?
4: Well, to take a step back, we know that we thought weight was plateauing in this country, but it seems to be it's continuing to increase. Over 70% of the population is now overweight and obese. And the factors that go into what we consume, our our diet, and our activity are tremendously complex and numerous. We've engineered physical activity out of our lives. You mentioned fast food, that's a part of it here. So one of the ways we deal with that is to try and control portion size and total amount of high calorie foods and emphasize uh, foods that are minimally processed, mostly plant, that can not only support Uh, weight management, but also support health.
1: You know, there are so many diets out there, like the keto diet, the gluten-free diet, the Mediterranean diet. How do you discern among all these various approaches?
4: So there is a body of literature that is confusing to most people. We've sorted through it. And we actually, one of the the main differences in the new edition is we have incorporated some of those other dietary plans. We have a Mediterranean Nail Clinic diet a healthy keto male clinic diet, a vegetarian male clinic diet, and a high-protein male clinic diet with recipes that people can use to follow these types of plans. This program, a weight management program, should be tailored to the individual.
1: There was something else I read in an advanced copy of this interview, and it something along the lines of losing weight is not the hard part, but keeping it off is. I imagine you have a lot of evidence in that direction.
4: That's right. Uh, You know, if people ain't 500 calories from jelly beans, they'd lose weight. But That obviously isn't a a healthy or sustainable way to do it. We focus on setting people up with the information and knowledge and guidance to help people do this in a way that, as I think I've mentioned, practical, realistic, and enjoyable. Those things should be in place. It shouldn't be drudgery to make it sustainable. And it's not only about weight. It's about maintaining health and the type of program we recommend is health-supporting And most importantly, people often say when I weighed less, when I was eating better, when I was more active, I felt better. So it should improve the quality of life also.
1: You had something as well talking about a quick start program of five habits, breaking five habits, and then try five bonus habits. What's that?
4: That's the lose it phase where people can lose weight quickly in a healthy manner. The habits are all safe and effective uh, and will help people to get a jump start on their weight loss. Move 30 minutes a day. And people can choose whatever activity they want to.
1: Excuse at the end me, of doctor. The you said period, move 30, 30 minutes a day. That doesn't seem that burdensome.
4: It doesn't. But many people don't achieve that. Huh. A, a bonus habit is 60 minutes a day. It's important to not do too much too fast, which many people are doing with New Year's resolutions, and that'll last about a week or two. But we do throw the kitchen sink at people, but we think it's in a manageable manner that people can then take those habits and turn it into a lifestyle change program.
1: All right, that was uh, Dr. Donald Headsrun, and uh, he talked about, uh, I think, a lot of good things to consider. If you want to find out more about his other books or the one he talked about, all you need to do is Google Donald Headsrun, and that is spelled H-E-N. S R-U-D, Donald Headsrun, H E N S R U D. All right, so we're coming back now with another segment, and that's Voices of History. And this is for August 2nd, 2023. On August 2nd, 1776, 56 delegates signed the Declaration of Independence. The first was to sign was Joshua Bartlett from New Hampshire. The last signature was George Walton of Georgia. Hmm. Did you know that? I did not know that, actually. Did you, Eric? No. Mm-mm.
3: Those I guys are kind of known. forgotten by history.
1: Right. It seems like. Yeah. That's why I grabbed it. Um, and then there was, this is, I think, fascinating. A Carter Braxton of Virginia, Robert Morris of Pennsylvania, George Reed of Delaware, And Edward Rutledge of South Carolina opposed the document, but they signed it in order to give the impression of a unanimous Congress. Hmm. Now, look at that. Do we have that sort of... uh, Happens all the time, right? You know, I mean, come on. Would we do that today and even hear about that? Oh, let's do it for the good of the country. So anyhow...
2: I I think you could pose the question, what should we have for lunch to Congress? It would take a year to figure it out. All kinds of arguing... (laughs)
1: Where your <laughs> venue is. August 3rd, 1949, the rival Basketball Association of America and the National Basketball Association merged to become the National Basketball Association. The new NBA was made up of 17 teams that represented small towns and large cities across the country. In the 1950s, the number of teams, though, dwindled to eight from that high of 17 they were all folding up because of lack of uh, fan support. In 1959 or 55 again only 8 teams existed. Hmm. That was until that year a 24 second clock was implemented. Because up to that point you could hold the ball as long as you want and go for the final shot to win the game. Like if you're an inferior team, sure. That's what you would do, pass the ball for, you know, a whole game, and then you just take a shot at the buzzer. (laughs) But this got a little boring at the games. So I think in this age of looking at clocks and things like that, we've just seen it happen in baseball. They want to speed up the game, so you have a 15-second or 20-second limit to deliver that next pitch. When I went to WSU in college, and this was all of college basketball then, in the NCAA, they didn't have a time clock until 1985, well after I graduated. So you saw that sometimes in college basketball, where Mm -hmm. again, a team, you're playing UCLA with Kareem, and then you got some team from Idaho running, they don't have a shot at him. So they would be passing the ball all game. So people were going, okay, this is (laughs) not very entertaining. So then they put a 45 second clock in, they reduced it to 35 seconds in 1993. And then to thirty in 2015.
2: That's crazy. I did not know that. I, I always thought it was uh, way back. I mean, I thought that was from the dawn of time.
1: No, no. Yeah. It's I. I learned about the NBA. I didn't. I didn't know the NBA never had a clock until 1955.
2: So then suddenly that introduces a whole new strategy for teams. No question. How do you work that clock?
1: And it has worked because the NBA is pretty damn popular right yeah, now, right? Few people. Uh, yeah. And I look at these sort of things. I remember in college football, to just take it to another level here, that the NFL didn't have a two-point conversion until 2015. No, excuse me. Do I have that right?
2: Seems about right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, anyhow. But it it was uh, maybe before that, but not much before that. But they didn't go for two points. And why? Because college football was doing it. You see? So Mm. they stalled for years because college football did it a lot – Sooner, They did it back in the uh, early 80s because there were too many ties. So let's break it up. Fans are coming to see a game. Yes. So then the NFL would not do it. They're stubborn, college football, mm-hmm. but they finally broke down. Yeah, let's kind of do that. So
2: And it it's turns out that's one of the more exciting things that happened.
1: Exactly. You know, what are they going to do? Now, one more reform, and I'll get off this because I'm going to take the whole, gosh, we're, <laughs> we're moving along, is that uh, they still have what I consider to be an archaic rule And that is, they're trying to change this, but, and I think in the Super Bowl playoffs, but you play a whole football game. It's a tie. You're going into overtime in pro football. Kick off the other team. If they score a touchdown, the game's over. Mm -hmm. The other team doesn't have a chance to respond. Now, in college they do, high school they do, every other sport, the team gets the ball back. To me, it's just ridiculous not to allow another team to have a chance. But I think you will find at some point That will end entirely. Got you. That's my prediction. All right. I have spent more time on that than I thought I would. Let's see what else. Let's move on to, I'll just say that story again that I started with, and that's on July 27th, just a week ago. Crowds lined the streets of Seattle to welcome President Warren G. Harding. Did you have that one?
3: I did, yeah. I've been watching Boardwalk Empire recently, and that's set— Right in that time, so it's like I I knew exactly who it was.
1: How are you enjoying it?
3: I, I'm enjoying it a lot. Yeah,
1: I loved it. I saw that it was such a great show.
3: So you're telling
2: me four years of high school, and all I really needed to do was watch Port
1: <laughs>
3: Fire, because I I totally got it wrong. Well, a lot of it is not historically <laughs> accurate, <laughs> but uh, some things are, like Warren G. Harding being president.
1: Dang it! Well, there you go. See, you learned something. Uh, you know, he met with the children at Volunteer Park on that day, the Boy Scouts at Woodland Park. And as I mentioned, he ended the day with an hour-long address at the University of Washington. The speech would be his last. He got on a train to San Francisco and he died six days later. Hmm. So there you go. I think uh probably had, maybe you have time for one more. What do you think, Eric? Do you think we do? Sure. We're moving along. All right. This will be a quick one. On August 5th, 1858, the first transatlantic telegraph cable is completed. The feat was accomplished through the efforts of an American merchant, Cyrus Westfield. And, of course, the telegraph was developed by Samuel Morris. Now, that must have been big at the time. I mean, think about it. In 1858, all of a sudden, you can communicate instantly with Europe. Yes. So were they saying it it went
2: from, from land to a ship to land? Well, they laid, I believe, they laid under the ocean. Wow.
1: That's what I, I believe that. I'm not positive of that because uh,
2: you're right, though. That would be what a leap in technology,
1: right? <laughs> so there you have it. All right, so we go on now to your interview coming up, uh, Eric. Anxious to hear this one in just a moment, Mr. Sean Clancy.
2: And welcome to my conversation with Sean Clancy. He's Field Marketing Manager, Northwest, with Best Day Brewing. We're going to talk about the adult beverage industry and all the interesting things that are happening. It might not be what you think these days. So with that, I want to welcome via Zoom, Sean, how are you doing? I'm
5: good. Thanks for having me.
2: Appreciate your time. You know, we had a chance to meet at an event that we were doing, and we got to talking about just all the changes that are going on right now. In the adult beverage industry, but first, let's talk about your background. How did you get into this industry?
5: So, I'm actually uh, I'm from the spirit side of things. So, I worked for uh, Bacardi, which is one of the bigger uh, liquor companies there is, um, and then I worked on the distributor side for about five years for RDC, which used to be Young's Market. Got it. And now I've transitioned into the non-alcoholic beer market, which is a, it's something definitely a different for me, but it's a very exciting time to be in this industry.
2: Well, you know, I, I partake from time to time and I've noticed um, when I go up to my favorite watering hole that people are ordering things that I've never really ordered or just seem different to me. So what are some of the trends that are going on right now? What are some of the younger folks, I should say, drinking these days?
5: Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I, I see uh, all sorts of different things. I mean, specifically to the NA category, we see a lot of uh, people kind of coming up with these craft non-alcoholic cocktails. I've seen non-alcoholic wines making a an appearance on the on the scene, and then yeah, the the craft beer world is just exploding right now in the NA category. As far as the like liquor drinks and and stuff like that, I mean, I'm paying less attention to that recently, but I I, I think Craft cocktails, is still very popular right now. People also kind of drinking those nostalgic cocktails, the old fashions, Manhattan, stuff like that. That's definitely still hot right now. But it's uh, it's it's interesting seeing kind of the, the way that the bar industry is shifting and changing. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with like post-COVID, you know, people not being in bars for a long time. A lot of that younger generation of people who didn't have that kind of 21, you know, 21 run and running and being in the bars for you know, that first year or two of them, of, you know, being 21. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting time out there.
2: My wife's favorite drink is actually an old fashioned. And I find it interesting when the trend of women liking to drink specialty cocktails and things like that. Uh, it, are there differences that you see in just sort of the, the male versus female audience in terms of what they're drinking?
5: Yeah, I mean, I don't remember the exact kind of scientific data behind it, but I remember being in some trainings when I was in the liquor side of things and they would talk about how women are actually born with um, like more sensory glands or they have a stronger sense of smell mm. and their palate is more developed, things like that. And so I sometimes I feel disappointed when I talk with, with women who – who haven't kind of broadened their horizons and gotten into some of those classic cocktails like whiskeys and you know uh, Scotch and and some of the finer tequilas and stuff like that because I think there's a lot to be a lot that's being missed out on by by that younger generation. I think some of that a lot a lot of that has to do with maturity. I feel like and some people aren't ready for that next step yet. But I would encourage people who are you know kind of maybe when you're younger you're just you just want it to be sweet or you want it to taste not like alcohol. But I think that once you see some of the really good products that are out there, that it's uh, you regret not kind of exploring that sooner, um, especially with the women, because they have this, you know, natural ability to kind of process more of the flavors and aromas and all of that stuff.
2: I do want to say that I've noticed that with the non-alcoholic drinks, they're becoming more and more popular, whether it be beer or even specialty cocktails. There there are entire, entire bars devoted to that, isn't there?
5: Exactly, yeah. It's
2: really interesting.
5: Um, I think that's expanding, like, kind of where I'm hearing more of that in, like, New York City, stuff like that. I think L.A. has some. Um, I think we have a few around the Seattle area. Not so much they're solely dedicated to non-alcoholic cocktails, but some that at least feature them, um, as well as having alcoholic cocktails.
2: I like that because, you know, you still have the social aspect of being out with friends, family, um, but you Mm -hmm. can drive home. You you can drive home safely.
5: Exactly, people are finding different reasons, you know, to, to have their, uh, to explore the non-alcoholic categories of wines and spirits and beers. And, um, you know, that's what we're seeing every day. I talk with people who are making that transition and, and not, not necessarily everyone is completely, you know, stopping drinking alcohol, but some of them are, you know, just phasing in a non-alcoholic beer or, or, or beverage during, you know, a period of time when they're drinking so um, people find their different reasons you know people it's, it's you know medication or pregnancy or driving or just wanting to fit in and kind of having that social crutch something in their hands so yeah it's everyone kind of finds their reason Um and it's just kind of I think it's everyone needs to spend that time to figure out what their reason is I guess
2: sure yeah I've talked to people that drink exclusively non-alcoholic beer for instance And they've had me taste it. They said, try this. It tastes really good. And I have. And I'm amazed. I'm like, wow, this is dang close to what I would think it would taste, you know, with alcohol in it.
5: It's amazing. Exactly. I'm excited. I want to get you guys some so you guys can try ours.
2: Now, what brands do you uh, typically uh, represent on the beer side? Well, so
5: Best Day Brewing. So we have, uh, well, three kind of mainstay products. So we have two IPAs. We have a Hazy IPA and a West Coast IPA. And then maybe our most popular product is a Kolsch. Um, but the exciting product that we're just launching right now is our Electro Lime Cerveza. So that's a Mexican style lager brewed with uh, sea salt and lime. That's our our products right now, and we're uh, we're excited about other seasonal releases in the future. Um, but yeah, we're that's our kind of craft lineup.
2: It's interesting as you look across the decades. You know, maybe whiskey's the big thing for five, ten years, and then then maybe it's tequila for for five, ten years and then suddenly totally. craft beers i remember the when when you kind of went from what you'd find in the grocery store to all of a sudden you're going to now breweries and having very limited runs of very specialized beers um yeah. so it is sort of ever changing isn't it the industry
5: definitely i think yeah i mean it's not only cyclical like that where where things become popular and and i think there's different reasons for that but but also uh regional i think it's funny where You'll go to some you know different area and you'll see that people are drinking only mm-hmm. this brand or or this is their favorite kind of shot or whatever it might be. But it is a very fascinating kind of culture of of drinking or consumption. Um, and it, I've definitely noticed you know tequila is uh, very you know popular right now, especially the good high end tequilas. In the past, it's been whiskey, and, and whiskey remains hot as well. And then you see other products like a Mezcal. I mean, it's not exactly new at this point at all, but um, there's always these, these new products, which are kind of people are searching for what's the next hot thing.
2: Well, thank you, Sean, for all your time today. We do have to wrap this up. I really appreciate your time.
5: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having
2: me. Very interesting. Uh, If you want to learn more about Best Day Brewing, just go to bestdaybrewing.com. That's bestdaybrewing.com. And Sean shared with me that they now have an Amazon store. So go to the search and just say Best Day Brewing. It'll all come up there. Thanks again, Sean. And for those listening, uh, of course, uh, go out there and enjoy. But don't enjoy so much that you can't make it home safely. Everything in moderation, folks. And hey, if you don't want the alcohol, there are so many non-alcoholic options out there now. So maybe try those instead. Best day brewing. Thanks again, Sean.
5: Thanks for having me.
1: Well, good interview. Thank you. And it was very interesting. What is your takeaway, Eric, from that? I mean, it was interesting to see how this uh, is growing in popularity. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm interested in see where Gen Z is going to take all this because they're very health conscious. They like the non-alcoholic versions of drinks. Uh, So much so that there's even bars now dedicated to nothing but non-alcoholic cocktails. It's almost just all about the social aspect of being in there with your friends, drinking a swanky drink, but
1: there's no alcohol in it. It's kind of interesting to me. It will be interesting to see how this uh, goes down the road. Definitely. Different different than when we were early in our careers, I should say. No doubt about it. Well, we're getting to meet at the tavern afterwards, right?
3: That's true. That's true.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I thought we'd kind of bring this up uh, because the world atlas has come out with the best 10 small towns in the Pacific Northwest. And since we know we are living in God's country now, I mean, there's Mm -hmm. no better weather in the country than here. I mean, I, where could that possibly be? And really the world for that matter. But if you're thinking about getting out, let's say, uh, August is probably going to be a busy month, but I suspect September Mm -hmm. will be a great month. And a lot of the crowds will Be gone then. But this is what they had to say in terms of cities. And interesting, they're talking, again, the whole Pacific Northwest, uh, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And six out of the ten are in the state of Washington. So here we'll start with Albany, Oregon. Anacortes, Washington. Cannon Beach, Oregon. Friday Harbor, Washington, of course. Gig Harbor. You know about Gig Harbor, don't you, Eric? Yep, nice little town. Leavenworth, Washington, Port Townsend, Washington, of course, Sandpoint, Idaho, Seaside, Oregon, and Snoqualmie, Washington. So there you go.
2: Now, have you you not been to any of these cities?
1: I am going to say that I have not been to, I don't know, the the one that may jump out at me is Albany, Oregon. I'm not sure I've been there. I think I have, though.
2: I haven't. I think you have, Eric, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. a cute little town. What's their sort of claim to fame?
3: Uh, hmm. <laughs> I, Any it's, kind of festival or something? Going it's on cute. Now? Yeah, no, it's, it's cute. cute. That's that's it. It's got some nice architecture, um, and it's close to Corvallis. Uh, so uh, you know, OSU is there. So okay. I think they're kind of uh, sister communities. So, so kind of yeah. like a college town without without the college, right? <laughs> <That's> near <laughs> enough.
2: Okay.
1: And how about you, Eric?
2: Uh, no, I have been to Albany. So that's why I was curious about that. um, And then Sandpoint. I have not been to Sandpoint. But Seaside. I love Seaside. And we have a coworker worker down at Cannon Beach right now. And that's a place I've never been. I'd love to go. Isn't that the one with the big haystack rock or something yeah, like Cannon that?
1: Yeah, Cannon Beach. Yes, definitely. <clears throat> there was a cougar on there about uh, two weeks ago. They talked about that. A cougar. And actually, live cougar was on top of it. And I think came down eventually, but they closed the beach, and that hadn't happened before. Caught by the
2: tide or something, huh?
1: Yeah. Wow. I guess so. And, of course, uh, you don't care for Gig Harbor, though, right? You didn't <laughs> <No>. mention that. <laughs> I do care for Gig Harbor. Love yeah. Gig Harbor. Yeah, I know. That's where you live. <laughs> so I'm um, going to move into self-employment here because, again, I talked at the uh, beginning of how many people are going into self-employment. Here are some statistics that I just dug out. 5 million new businesses were created in 2022. And that's a jump of 42% increase since the pre pandemic levels. 42%. Wow. And 54% of small businesses are owned by people over 50. And 25% of those are over 65 years old. That's Forbes magazine. Hey, all right. So there's a lot of people interested in this subject and I did it uh, for many years and still do, I suppose. And I did write a book about self-employment twice, once in 2004 and updated the other one in 2017. And the focus of the book was not to try to talk you into running a business for yourself or go into self-employment or not to. It was, I felt the success of the book would be measured on people who read it and said, you know what, this is not for me. I kind of got an idea of what it's like from what you described and what you cited. And I'm telling you, I don't want to do it. Yeah. And that's fair. And then the other would be, oh, I want to do this. This is great. I think I can do this. Uh, the ones that, and I fortunately didn't hear this often, would be like, I read your book and I still don't know. Mm -hmm. So that's, that was my goal. And I think I accomplished that in that sense. And one of the real important aspects of the book, and I thought of these questions for years and there were 20 of them. And it came to me along as I built my business and stayed in business to try to advise other people how to do it. So I have what I call a self-employment quiz. And the higher you score in the quiz, my belief is your higher prospects for success. Okay. So that's why I devised the quiz. And there's only one question on the quiz that you can't, if you are weak in, and I'll get to that in a second, you don't have, you feel have those skills, you can improve them, but get to a high level, like a, get to an eight on the scale of one to 10 before you do your business. I'll get to that in a second, but this is the point of going into the business for yourself. But I mentioned there was one question there's nothing you can do about, and that is, were your parents in business? Or if somebody close? Did you grow up in a small business? If you did, you have a tremendous advantage over people like me or others who didn't do that because you see firsthand what it's like to run a business. And I've talked to many people who have said they've grown up in that environment, they will never touch it because they could see really the stress and strain of what it was like when they were growing up. So others would say, I grew up in a small business. It was ingrained into me to do it, and they have such an advantage over somebody who doesn't. So that's what I'm saying. There's nothing you can do about that. You either grew up in a family, your parents were running a business or not. But here's some of the questions, and, um, and this is kind of a one that's you'd say, why would you ask this maybe, or maybe you're not going to ask that question. Do you exercise good judgment? I mean, I'm not asking that necessarily to you or whatever, <laughs> but the question. Notice oh I'm quiet God. over here. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, i going, <laughs>
2: yeah, think about it.
1: And, I, and I'm just submitting, generally, it, it's important because if you're satisfied with some of the things that you've done in life and you've made good choices, you're satisfied with those, you've stuck with them, your chances are higher. That's all. It's not g- a, a genius you know, rev- revelation here, but it's important to think about that. If you have been all over the map, you're changing jobs a lot, you're doing things, that means you don't have that mental focus to stay and you'll be jumping out of your business and then somebody will say, I got a new idea over here and that will happen to you. When you're in business and you're struggling, if you are, you're already going, Oh, I'm going to skip over to here, focus you know, you know, or judgment and make those, making those calls. You just can't do that or it will destroy you. And that's a very important one. So again, think about it in that light. Another one is organization. Are you organized? See, you can do stuff about that. I thought I was organized, but my mentor, and I've mentioned his name before, Larry Kaufman, we published a newspaper. He taught me how much more you could do just being organized. And again, I thought I was organized. I wasn't even close. Time is money. You have to really get up in the morning and use your 15, 20 minutes really well, because that is where the rubber meets the road. It's so important to be organized.
2: It's like you're setting the tone for the day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think with that, you put a you can make a decision on how important it is. I started out with time, I figured I was worth $125 an hour. So if I had to do something get sidelined and get pulled away from what I'm doing, it's costing me 300 bucks if it's 2 hours. So you have to equate that. There's a penalty to be paid if you have a lot of things going and you got a lot of distractions, it's time is money. If this is not, this is in case you don't have a big infusion of money for someone to give you, which I didn't. Mm -hmm. So you had, these are things you had to really think about. And the other thing is execute your projects. Can you execute when you have an idea? Can you get it done? Everybody has ideas. It's like Everybody has a book inside of them. I'm not trying to brag here or whatever, but that sort of thing, when I felt important, got me to finish my book. Because I, oh, I've got that great book idea. Well, get it done. Yeah. So you have it, something that you have set out to do and you execute. If you're not doing that, you have all these things around. You got to execute in business um, if you're going to survive in it.
2: Well, I'd highly recommend that our listeners who are thinking about going into business for themselves, get that book. What's the easiest way?
1: It's called Is Self-Employment for You? You can get it on Amazon. However, if someone wants to call 425-653-1166, give me your name and address, and I will send you a complimentary copy of my book. 425-653-1166. I will even sign it.
2: Now it's worth something.
1: Oh, yeah. Right. Maybe <laughs> they'll awesome. go, no, I was going to call, but maybe I won't now. But no, I, will do, I would like to do that. Yes, but you can get it on Amazon if you want. But uh, I, I suggest, you know, you take a look at it. So anyhow. All right. So we are coming back with another interview, and this is one with uh, Lori Hardy. And uh, I haven't heard it myself because she did it this morning. So let's get to it. It
6: really took me getting mad that women were getting the care that they needed to go into this, but it's been my my passion ever since.
0: One of the top doctors in women's health, Dr. Stephanie Fabian, director of Mayo's Clinic Center for Women's Health and author of The New Rules of Menopause, a Mayo Clinic Guide to Perimenopause and Beyond. Welcome. Thanks so much. This is quite a loaded topic. Let's get right to it. Let's talk about why midlife transition for women is not better understood. Exactly. Well, I think in the past, it's
6: been a little bit of a taboo topic. There are probably a lot of reasons for that. Reproduction and periods and things like menopause just weren't talked about very much. And I think that's in part a generational thing. When I wrote the first menopause book in 2016, we were actually targeting the big Baby Boomer Generation, and now with this book, we're really targeting Generation X and the first of the millennials turned 42 this year. So this is a completely different conversation that we were having with the baby boomers. And these generations really do want to talk about this topic. And in fact, they are quite vocal about it and are not willing to suffer with symptoms, which is great. They're even crowdsourcing solutions for their symptoms. It's a completely different conversation this time around, which is wonderful.
0: I love it that they want to have the conversation. So what are some things they can do to ease this transition?
6: It's important to talk about what some of the symptoms are first and when they occur. Backing up a bit, menopause is defined as no menstrual cycle for one year. You actually are in menopause for a year before you can define actually there. But before that time frame is perimenopause. Even in perimenopause, where women are still having fairly regular menstrual cycles, they can experience symptoms very similar to that of the menopause transition. They can experience hot flashes and night sweats and sleep disturbances and mood disturbances of vaginal dryness all before they have their last menstrual period. And that can go on for somewhere in the range of six to 10 years before their last period. And then when you hit menopause, the hot flashes are the most common symptom, certainly not the only symptom, but we know the mean duration of symptoms, hot flashes, is seven to nine years. And about a third of women will experience symptoms for a decade or longer. This is not a short time frame. And when we talk about treatment options, we talk about where you are in the menopause, transition, perimenopausal or postmenopausal because the treatment might be different. And also what symptoms are we trying to control? Is it mostly mood symptoms that are the problem? Is it hot flashes and night sweats? And we might take a different approach depending on the symptom.
0: What are the latest, newest things on hormone replacement therapy or holistic integrative therapies?
6: Well, first, we don't call it replacement therapy anymore because we actually aren't trying to replace what the ovary used to make. We are just trying to manage symptoms and often that's a much lower dose than what we would use to say get somebody back to where they were at the age of 20. So the goal is just to manage symptoms and the latest and greatest on hormone therapy is that we have finally come full circle from where we were in 2002 when the Women's Health Initiative trial results came out. At that time, they were reported all as one mishmashed group. So they reported the results on the 50 all the way up to 79 year old women all together that skewed things to make the risks look worse because of course the risks are greater as you age. We know in most women that are actually coming into my office, those are women in the late 40s or early 50s, we know that the benefits typically outweigh the risks for the use of hormone therapy. For those women, really it does make sense to use hormone therapy as first line treatment if there are no real contraindications to its use. Can you just tell us
0: about what this book has to offer?
6: It's actually broken into three sections. And the first section is kind of what is it? What is menopause? What is perimenopause? Kind of walking people through it. And also the body changes that women can experience from head to toe. The second part is managing it. So managing those symptoms that occur. And we kind of walk through it by symptoms. So not everyone's symptoms are the same and not all management is the same. And women are different. We really are to the point where we can individualized therapy for women. And then the third part of the book is owning it and moving forward. This is really acknowledging the fact that we are going to spend one third to one half of our lifespans after menopause. That's a long time. So we really need to use this menopause transition to reflect upon our health and our risk factors for cardiovascular disease, which is the number one killer of women, and modify those things that we can so that we can live our best lives going forward.
0: I feel like when we hear the word menopause, it's like, oh... But when we think about it, I love what you said, how usually we don't know for the first year, right? Because we don't know what we don't know. How can we look at this differently as a wonderful thing that's happening versus, oh, no? Exactly.
6: Our perception is that menopause is equates with aging. It's menopause equals aging. In some respects, that's true because we wouldn't have gotten to this point unless we were getting older. But at the same time, it doesn't need to be a dirty word. Some of the images of menopausal women in the media, are most of them are negative. You look up images of menopause, if you Google it, and you see angry, hot, old-looking women right? But that isn't the way it is or should be. And menopause doesn't have to be a rough experience. It can be quite a good time. And after that, women, again, can take a step back and reassess where they are in their lives. And it can be quite freeing not to have menstrual cycles anymore and to not worry about pregnancy anymore. And guess what? Sex can still be great after menopause. So there are a lot of things to look forward to.
0: What is the earliest and the latest you've seen women go into menopause? Unfortunately,
6: young girls can go through menopause prematurely. I've seen 19-year-olds in menopause, which is not great, but that's unusual. If We call it normal if you're over the the age of 45 and about 95% of women have gone through menopause by 55 or 56. I have seen a 60 year old still having periods and that time she was, dear God, when is this gonna stop? But it's actually probably protective for her in many respects to have a later menopause.
0: Like you said, we don't often know when we're starting. Do we know when we're done? Well, you're never really done with menopause. You're then postmenopausal
6: for the rest of your life. When you say done, I think most people refer to when do I stop having symptoms? those symptoms, depending on what they are, might stop and they may not. For example, vaginal dryness that's associated with the loss of estrogen doesn't get better with time. It just keeps getting worse. So you need to manage that if it's a problem for you. But hot flashes typically do get better with time, even if it does take a long time. And I refer to the fact that they last a long time, seven to nine years and over 10 years for some women. They can last for a while. But on the flip side, there are some women that never have a single hot flash. They just stop their periods. That's it. And story, no problem. The experience is variable.
0: So this book is a way for them to go, oh, I have these symptoms and here's options, here's ways to deal with this. And it sounds like it's a real conversation of, hey, this is normal. It is normal. It's important
6: for women to make sure that they can have a good conversation with their healthcare providers. And if they feel like they're not getting the answers that they need, important to keep in mind that most medical providers have not had formal education on menopause because it's just not in the residency training programs anymore. We did a survey a couple of years ago of internal medicine residencies, family medicine, and OBGYN across the country. And what we heard from all of those residents was that they got maybe one to two hours of education and menopause in their whole entire training program, and the majority of them did not feel comfortable managing menopause when they got out. So that means we have a lot of providers out there that really don't have the knowledge or skill set that they need to have these conversations. So if women feel like they're being dismissed or they're told that nothing can be done about their symptoms, then they need to really seek care elsewhere. Menopause.org is the menopause society and it actually has a listing of providers by location who have been certified in menopause management. So that's at least a place to start to try to find someone in your local area that
0: has that knowledge. This is such a a broad subject but what is it that you really want women to know they don't have to suffer
6: if they're struggling with menopause symptoms These are important. It's not something you should feel like you have to just suffer through. And there are solutions, whether they be hormonal or non-hormonal or, you know, making lifestyle recommendations about how to be healthy going forward. There's something that you can learn and something that you can do about it. Keep looking for that care if you feel like you're not getting the answers that you need.
0: Dr. Stephanie, I can hear your passion around this. What brought
6: you to this work? The fascinating thing is I tried everything in my power not to go into women's health and when I graduated from my training program, I was sort of pushed in that direction. And I said, no, 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 I, I want to do general medicine. I want to see men, too. Every step, it was another push. Don't you want to do the breast clinic? No, I do not want to do the breast clinic. Um, and then ultimately, the Women's Health Initiative study came out in 2002, And I had patients coming to me all the time saying they couldn't get hormone therapy and they couldn't get treatment for their menopause symptoms. It was at that time that we decided to put together and start the women's health clinic at Mayo Clinic. And that got going in 2005. So it really took me getting mad that women were getting the care that they needed to go into this. But it's been my my passion ever since.
0: I'm talking with Dr. Stephanie Fabian, and her book is called The New Rules of Menopause, A Male Clinic Guide to Perimenopause and Beyond. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thank you for giving me the opportunity.
1: Well, we are out of time. Another show just goes by very quickly and um, sorry to see it go, but thank you, Lori Hardy, for that wonderful interview. So, uh, this is uh, again the close of Voice of Experience for today. Any comments about the show? Call 425 653 1166. That's 425 653 1166. Quote of the week. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Executive ability is deciding quickly and getting someone else to do the work. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And that's Earl Nightingale. Our Timeless Classic is coming up next, but just to let you know that you'll hear the whole song on Kixie, but on KKNW and on my podcast, Because of Copyright Issues, you'll hear about a quarter of it. So just to let you know that, so you are forewarned. Okay, here we go this uh, week's Timeless Classic. Billboard described this week's Timeless Classic as a swinging rhythm item with compelling lyrics and a hypnotizing sales magnet. I don't know exactly what that means, but I did like the song a lot, which is coming up in just a moment. The song begins with the lyrics, the city lights, the pretty lights, they can warm the coldest nights. But when the lights go out and the days begin, no one smiles anymore and no one will open up the door until the night time comes. Now... If you like this song, Remember It As Much As Me, you know exactly what's coming up. But if not, I think you'll enjoy it. Released in October 1967, Neon Rainbow by The Box Tops.
7: The city lights, the pretty lights, they can warm. They find the glowy races, and what they lose to glory places, and life is love. Questions. You can live without direction, and it don't have to be perfection. And life is long. No one smiles anymore, and no one will open his door until the night time comes, and then